Chapter Eight of the Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Morant. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. Chapter Seven. Who may she be that steals through yonder cloister, and as the beam of evening tints her veil, unconsciously discloses saintly features? informed with the high soul of saintly virtue during several days after ayena's arrival at the monastery of san stefano she was not permitted to leave the room the door was locked upon her and not any person appeared except the nun who brought her a scanty portion of food and who was the same that had first admitted her into that part of the convent appropriated to the abbess on the fourth day when probably it was believed that her spirits were subdued by confinement and by her experience of the suffering she had to expect from resistance she was summoned to the parlour the abbess was alone and the air of austerity with which she regarded ayena prepared the latter to endure after an exordium on the heinousness of her offence and the necessity there was for taking measures to protect the peace and dignity of a noble family which her late conduct had nearly destroyed, the abbess informed her that she must determine either to accept the veil or the person whom the Marchesa di Vivaldi had, of her great goodness, selected for her husband. You never can be sufficiently grateful, added the abbess, for the generosity the Marchesa displays in allowing you a choice on the subject after the injury you have endeavoured to inflict upon her and her family you could not expect that any indulgence would be shewn you it was natural to suppose that the marchesa would have punished you with severity instead of which she allows you to enter into our society or if you have not strength of mind sufficient to enable you to renounce a sinful world she permits you to return into it and gives you a suitable partner to support you through its cares and toils a partner much more suitable to your circumstances than him to whom you had the temerity to lift your eye ayena blushed at this coarse appeal to her pride and persevered in a disdainful silence thus to give to injustice the colouring of mercy and to acts more absolutely tyrannical the softening tints of generosity excited her honest indignation she was not however shocked by a discovery of the designs formed against her since from the moment of her arrival at san stefano she had expected something terribly severe and had prepared her mind to meet it with fortitude for she believed that so supported she should weary the malice of her enemies and finally triumph over misfortune it was only when she thought of vivaldi that her courage failed and that the injuries she endured seemed too heavy to be long sustained you are silent said the abbess after a pause of expectation is it possible then that you can be ungrateful for the generosity of the marchesa but though you may at present be insensible to her goodness i will forbear to take advantage of your indiscretion and will still allow you liberty of choice you may retire to your chamber to consider and to decide but remember that you must abide by the determination you shall avow 
and that you will be allowed no appeal from the alternatives which are now placed before you. If you reject the veil, you must accept the husband who is offered you. It is unnecessary, said Elena, with an air of dignified tranquillity, that I should withdraw for the purposes of considering and deciding. My resolution is already taken, and I reject each of the offered alternatives. I will neither condemn myself to a cloister, or to the degradation with which I am threatened on the other hand. Having said this, I am prepared to meet whatever suffering you shall inflict upon me, but be assured that my own voice never shall sanction the evils to which I may be subjected, and that the immortal love of justice, which fills all my heart, will sustain my courage no less powerfully than the sense of what is due to my own character. You are now acquainted with my sentiments and my resolutions. I shall repeat them no more. The abbess, whose surprise had thus long suffered Eliana to speak, still fixed upon her a stern regard as she said, Where is it that you have learned these heroics, and acquired the rashness which thus prompts you to avow them? the boldness which enables you to insult your superior, a priestess of your holy religion, even in her sanctuary. The sanctuary is profane, said Elena, mildly, but with dignity. It has become a prison. It is only when the superior ceases to respect the precepts of that holy religion, the precepts which teach her justice and benevolence, that she herself is no longer respected, the very sentiment which bids us revere its mild and beneficent laws, bids us also reject the violators of them. When you command me to reverence my religion, you urge me to condemn yourself. Withdraw, said the abbess, rising impatiently from her chair. Your admonition, so becomingly delivered, shall not be forgotten. Ayanna willingly obeyed, and was led back to her cell, where she sat down pensively, and reviewed her conduct. Her judgment approved of the frankness with which she had asserted her rights, and of the firmness with which she had reproved a woman who had dared to demand respect from the very victim of her cruelty and oppression. She was the more satisfied with herself because she had never, for an instant, forgotten her own dignity so far, as to degenerate into a vehemence of passion, or to falter with the weakness of fear. Her conviction of the abbess's unworthy character was too clear to allow Ayenna to feel abashed in her presence, for she regarded only the censure of the good to which she had ever been as tremblingly alive, as she was obdurately insensible to that of the vicious. Ayenna, having now asserted her resolutions, determined to avoid, if possible, all repetition of scenes like the last and to repel by silence only whatever indignity might be offered her. She knew that she must suffer, and she resolved to endure. Of the three evils which were placed before her, that of confinement, with all its melancholy accompaniments, appeared considerably less severe than either the threatened marriage or a formal renunciation of the world, either of which would devote her during life to misery, and that by her own act. Her choice, therefore, had been easy, and the way was plain before her. If she could endure with calmness the hardships which she could not avoid, half their weight would be unfelt. 
and she now most strenuously endeavoured to attain the strength of mind which was necessary to support such equanimity. For several days after the late interview with the abbess she was kept a close prisoner, but on the fifth evening she was permitted to attend Vespers. As she walked through the garden to the chapel, the ordinary freshness of the open air and the verdure of the trees and shrubs were luxuries to her, who had so long been restricted from the common blessings of nature. She followed the nuns to a chapel where they usually performed their devotions, and was there seated among the novices. The solemnity of the service, and particularly of those parts which were accompanied by music, touched all her heart, and soothed and elevated her spirit. Among the voices of the choir was one whose expression immediately fixed her attention. It seemed to speak a loftier sentiment of devotion than the others, and to be modulated by the melancholy of a heart that had long since taken leave of this world. Whether it swelled with the high peal of the organ, or mingled in low and trembling accents with sinking chorus, Ayenna felt that she understood all the feelings of the breast from which it flowed, and she looked to the gallery where the nuns were assembled to discover a countenance that might seem to accord with the sensibility expressed in the voice. As no strangers were admitted to the chapel, some of the sisters had thrown back their veils, and she saw little that interested her in their various faces. But the figure and attitude of a nun, kneeling in a remote part of the gallery, beneath a lamp, which threw its rays aslant her head, perfectly agreed with the idea she had formed of the singer, and the sound seemed to approach immediately from that direction. Her face was concealed by a black veil, whose transparency, however, permitted the fairness of her complexion to appear. But the air of her head, and the singularity of her attitude, for she was the only person who remained kneeling, sufficiently indicated the superior degree of fervency and penitence which the voice had expressed. When the hymn had ceased, she rose from her knees, and Ayenna, soon after, observing her throw back her veil, discovered by the lamp, which shed its full light upon her features, a countenance that instantly confirmed her conjecture. It was touched with a melancholy kind of resignation, yet grief seemed still to occasion the paleness and the air of languor that prevailed over it, and which disappeared only when the momentary energy of devotion seemed to lift her spirit above this world, and impart to it somewhat of a seraphic grandeur. At those moments her blue eyes were raised towards heaven, with such meek yet servant love, such sublime enthusiasm as the heads of Guido sometimes display, and which renewed with Ayenna all the enchanting effects of the voice she had just heard. While she regarded the nun with a degree of interest which rendered her insensible to every other object in the chapel, she fancied she could perceive the calmness in her countenance to be that of despair rather than of resignation, for when her thoughts were not elevated in prayer, there was frequently a fixedness in her look, too energetic for common suffering, or for the temper of mind, which may lead to perfect resignation. It had, however, much that attached the sympathy of Ayenna, and much that seemed to speak a similarity of feeling. Ayenna was not only soothed, but in some degree comforted, while she gazed upon her, 
a selfishness which may perhaps be pardoned when it is considered that she thus knew there was one human being at least in the convent who must be capable of feeling pity and willing to administer consolation ayenna endeavoured to meet her eye that she might inform her of the regard she had inspired and express her own unhappiness but the nun was so entirely engaged by devotion that she did not succeed as they left the chapel however the nun passed close by ayenna who threw back her veil and fixed upon her a look so supplicating and expressive that the nun paused and in her turn regarded the novice not with surprise only but with a mixture of curiosity and compassion a faint blush crossed her cheek her spirits seemed to falter and she was unwilling to withdraw her eyes from ayenna but it was necessary that she should continue in the procession and bidding her farewell by a smile of ineffable pity she passed on to the court while ayenna followed with attention still fixed upon the sister who soon disappeared beyond the doorway of the abbess's apartment and ayenna had nearly reached her own before her thoughts were sufficiently disengaged to permit her to inquire the name of the stranger it is sister olivia whom you mean perhaps said her conductress she is very handsome said ayenna many of the sisters are so replied margaritone with an air of pique undoubtedly said ayenna but she whom i mean has a most touching countenance frank noble full of sensibility and there is a gentle melancholy in her eye which cannot but interest all who observe her ayenna was so fascinated by this interesting nun that she forgot she was describing her to a person whose callous heart rendered her insensible to the influence of any countenance except perhaps the commanding one of the lady abbess and to whom therefore a description of the fine traits which ayenna felt was as unintelligible as would have been an arabic inscription she is past the bloom of youth continued ayenna still anxious to be understood but she retains all its interesting graces and adds to them the dignity of if you mean that she is of middle age interrupted margaritone peevishly it is sister olivia you mention for we are all younger than she is ayenna raising her eyes almost unconsciously as the nun spoke this fixed them upon a face fallow meagre seemingly near fifty years an inhabitant of this world and she could scarcely suppress the surprise she felt on perceiving such wretched vanity lingering among the chilled passions of so repulsive a frame and within the sequestered shade of a cloister margaritone still jealous of the praise bestowed on olivia repelled all further inquiry and having attended ayenna to her cell locked her up for the night on the following evening ayenna was again permitted to attend vespers and on the way to the chapel the hopes of seeing her interesting favorite reanimated her spirits in the same part of the gallery as on the preceding night she again appeared and kneeling as before beneath the lamp in private orison for the service was not begun 
Eliana endeavoured to subdue the impatience she felt to express her regard, and to be noticed by the Holy Sister, till she should have finished. When the nun rose and observed Ayanna, she lifted her veil, and, fixing on her the same inquiring eye, her countenance brightened into a smile so full of compassion and intelligence that Ayanna, forgetting the decorums of the place, left her seat to approach her. It seemed as if the soul which beamed forth in that smile had long been acquainted with hers. As she advanced, the nun dropped her veil, a reproof which she immediately understood, and she withdrew to her seat, but her attention remained fixed on the nun during the whole service. At the conclusion, when they left the chapel, and she saw Olivia pass without noticing her, Ayanna could scarcely restrain her tears. She returned in deep dejection to her room. The regard of this nun was not only delightful, but seemed necessary to her heart, and she dwelt with fond perseverance on the smile that had expressed so much, and which threw one gleam of comfort even through the bars of her prison. Her reverie was soon interrupted by a light step that approached her cell, and in the next moment the door was unlocked and Olivia herself appeared. Ayanna rose with a motion to meet her. The nun held forth her hand to receive hers. "'You are unused to confinement,' said she, curtsying mournfully, and placing on the table a little basket containing refreshment. "'And our hard fare.' "'I understand you,' said Ayanna, with a look expressive of her gratitude. "'You have a heart that can pity.' though you inhabit these walls. You have suffered, too, and know the delicate generosity of softening the sorrows of others by any attention that may tell them your sympathy. Oh, if I could express how much the sense of this affects me! Tears interrupted her. Olivia pressed her hand, looked steadily upon her face, and was somewhat agitated but she soon recovered apparent tranquillity and said with a serious smile, You judge rightly, my sister, respecting my sentiments, however you may do concerning my sufferings. My heart is not insensible to pity, nor to you, my child. You were designed for happier days than you can hope to find within these cloisters. She checked herself as if she had allowed too much and then added, But you may, perhaps, be peaceful and since it consoles you to know that you have a friend near you, believe me that friend, but believe it in silence. I will visit you when I am permitted, but do not inquire for me, and if my visits are short, do not press me to lengthen them. How good this is, said Ayanna in a faltering voice. How sweet, too, it is. You will visit me, and I am pitied by you. Hush, said the nun, expressively. No more. I may be observed. Good night, my sister. May your slumbers be light. Ayanna's heart sunk. She had not spirits to say good night, but her eyes, covered with tears, said more. The nun turned her own way suddenly, and pressing her hand in silence, left the cell. Ayanna, firm and tranquil under the insults of the abbess, was now melted into tears by the kindness of a friend. These gentle tears were refreshing to her long-oppressed spirits, and she indulged them. 
Of Vivaldi she thought with more composure than she had done since she left the Villa Altieri, and something like hope began to revive in her heart, though reflection offered nothing to support it. On the following morning she perceived that the door of her cell had not been closed. She rose impatiently, and not without a hope of liberty immediately passed it. The cell, opening upon a short passage which communicated with the main building and which was shut up by a door, was secluded and almost insulated from every other chamber, and this door being now secured, Ayenna was as truly a prisoner as before. It appeared then that the nun had omitted to fasten the cell only for the purpose of allowing her more space to walk in the passage, and she was grateful for the attention. Still more she was so when, having traversed it, she perceived one extremity terminate in a narrow staircase that appeared to lead to other chambers. She ascended the winding steps hastily, and found they led only to a door, opening into a small room, where nothing remarkable appeared, till she approached the windows, and beheld thence a horizon, and a landscape spread below, whose grandeur awakened all her heart. The consciousness of her prison was lost, while her eyes ranged over the wide and freely sublime scene without. She perceived that this chamber was within a small turret, projecting from an angle of the convent over the walls, and suspended as in air above the vast precipices of granite that formed part of the mountain. These precipices were broken into cliffs, which, in some places, impended far above their base, and, in others, rose, in nearly perpendicular lines, to the walls of the monastery which they supported. Ayenna, with a dreadful pleasure, looked down them, shagged as they were with larch, and frequently darkened by lines of gigantic pine bending along the rocky ledges, till her eye rested on the thick chestnut woods that extended over their winding base, and which, softening to the plains, seemed to form a gradation between the variegated cultivation there and the awful wildness of the rocks above. Round these extensive plains were tumbled the mountains of various shape and altitude which Eliana had admired on her approach to San Stefano, some shaded with forests of olive and almond trees, but the greater part abandoned to the flocks, which in summer feed on their aromatic herbage, and on the approach of winter descend to the sheltered plains of the Tavoglier di Puglia, on the left opened the dreadful pass which she had traversed, and the thunder of whose waters now murmured at a distance. The accumulation of overtopping points which the mountains of this dark perspective exhibited presented an image of grandeur superior to anything she had seen while within the pass itself. To Ayenna, whose mind was capable of being highly elevated, or sweetly soothed, by scenes of nature, the discovery of this little turret was an important circumstance. Hither she could come, and her soul, refreshed by the views it afforded, would acquire strength to bear her, with equanimity, through the persecutions that might await her. Here, gazing upon the stupendous imagery around her, looking, as it were, beyond the awful veil which obscures the features of the deity and conceals him from the eyes of his creatures, dwelling as with the present God in the midst of his sublime works, 
with a mind thus elevated, how insignificant would appear to her the transactions and the sufferings of this world! How poor the boasted power of man, when the fall of a single cliff from these mountains would with ease destroy thousands of his race assembled on the plains below! How would it avail them that they were accoutred for battle, armed with all the instruments of destruction that human invention ever fashioned? Thus man, the giant who now held her in captivity, would shrink to the diminutiveness of a fairy, and she would experience that his utmost force was unable to enchain her soul or to compel her to fear him, while he was destitute of virtue. Ayanna's attention was recalled from the scene without by a sound from within the gallery, and she then heard a key turning in the door of the passage. Fearing that it was Sister Margaritone who approached, and who, informed by her absence of the consolatory turret she had discovered, would perhaps debar her from ever returning to it, Ayanna descended with a palpitating heart, and found that none in the cell. Surprise and severity were in her countenance when she acquired by what means Ayanna had unclosed the door and whither she had been. Ayanna answered without any prevarication that she had found the door unfastened and that she had visited the turret above, but she forbore to express a wish to return thither, judging that such an expression would certainly exclude her in future. Marguerite, after sharply rebuking her for prying beyond the passage and setting down the breakfast she had brought, left the room, the door of which she did not forget to secure. Thus Ayanna was at once deprived of so innocent a means of consolation as her pleasant turret had afforded. During several days she saw only the austere nun, except when she attended Vespers, where, however, she was so vigilantly observed that she feared to speak with Olivia, even by her eyes. Olivia's were often fixed upon her face, and with a kind of expression which Ayanna, when she did venture to look at her, could not perfectly interpret. It was not only of pity, but of anxious curiosity, and of something also like fear. A blush would sometimes wander over her cheek, which was succeeded by an extreme paleness, and by an air of such universal languor as precedes a fainting fit. But the exercises of devotion seemed frequently to recall her fleeting spirits and to elevate them with hope and courage. When she left the chapel, Ayanna saw Olivia no more that night. But on the following morning she came with breakfast to the cell. A character of peculiar sadness was on her brow. "'Oh, how glad I am to see you,' said Ayanna, "'and how much I have regretted your long absence. I was obliged to remember constantly what you had enjoined, to forbear inquiring after you.' The nun replied with a melancholy smile. "'I come in obedience to Our Lady Abbess,' said she, as she seated herself on Ayanna's mattress. "'And did you not wish to come?' said Ayanna mournfully. "'I did wish it,' replied Olivia. "'But,' and she hesitated, "'whence then this reluctance?' inquired Ayanna. Olivia was silent a moment. "'You are a messenger of evil news,' said Ayanna. "'You are only reluctant to afflict me.' "'It is as you say,' replied Olivia. I am only reluctant to afflict you, and I fear you have too many attachments to the world to allow you to receive, without sorrow, what I have to communicate. I am ordered to prepare you for the vows, and to say that, 
since you have rejected the husband which was proposed to you you are to accept the veil that many of the customary forms are to be dispensed with and that the ceremony of taking the black veil will follow without delay that of receiving the white one the nun paused and ayenna said you are an unwilling bearer of this cruel message and i reply only to the lady abbess when i declare that i never will accept either that force may send me to the altar but that it never shall compel me to utter vows which my heart abhors and if i am constrained to appear there it shall be only to protest against her tyranny and against the form intended to sanction it to olivia this answer was so far from being displeasing that it appeared to give her satisfaction i dare not applaud your resolution said she but i will not condemn it you have no doubt connections in the world which would render a seclusion from it afflicting you have relations friends from whom it would be dreadful to part i have neither said ayanna sighing no can that be possible and yet you are so unwilling to retire i have only one friend replied ayanna and it is of him they would deprive me pardon my love the abruptness of these enquiries said olivia yet while i entreat your forgiveness i am inclined to offend again and to ask your name that is a question i will readily answer my name is ayena di risolba how said olivia with an air of deliberation ayena di di risolba repeated her companion and permit me to ask your motive for the enquiry do you know any person of my name no replied the nun mournfully but your features have some resemblance to those of a friend i once had as she said this her agitation was apparent and she rose to go i must not lengthen my visit lest i should be forbidden to repeat it said she what answer shall i give to the abbess if you are determined to reject the veil allow me to advise you to soften your refusal as much as possible i am perhaps better acquainted with her character than you are and oh my sister i would not see you pining away your existence in this solitary cell how much i am obliged by the interest you express for my welfare said ayenna and by the advice you offer i will yield my judgment in this instance to yours you shall modulate my refusal as you think proper but remember that it must be absolute and beware lest the abbess should mistake gentleness for irresolution trust me i will be cautious in all that relates to you said olivia farewell i will visit you if possible in the evening in the meantime the door shall be left open that you may have more air and prospect than this cell affords that staircase leads to a pleasant chamber i have visited it already replied ayanna and have to thank you for the goodness which permitted me to do so to go thither will greatly soothe my spirits if i had some book and my drawing instruments i could almost forget my sorrows there could you so said the nun with an affectionate smile adieu i will endeavour to see you in the evening if sister marguerite returns be careful not to inquire for me nor once ask her for the little indulgence i give you olivia withdrew and ayanna retired to the chamber above 
where she lost for a while all sense of sorrow amidst the great scenery which its window exhibited. At noon the step of Margaritone summoned Ayenna from her retreat, and she was surprised that no reproof followed this second discovery of her absence. Margaritone only said that the abbess had the goodness to permit Ayenna to dine with the novices, and that she came to conduct her to their table. Ayenna did not rejoice in this permission, preferring to remain in her solitary turret, to being exposed to the examining eyes of strangers, and she followed dejectedly through the silent passages to the apartment where they were assembled. She was not less surprised than embarrassed to observe, in the manners of young people residing in a convent, an absence of that decorum which includes beneath its modest shade every grace that ought to adorn the female character, like the veil which gives dignity to their air and softness to their features. When Ayenna entered the room, the eyes of the whole company were immediately fixed upon her. The young ladies began to whisper and smile, and shewed by various means that she was the subject of conversation, not otherwise than censorious. No one advanced to meet and to encourage her, to welcome her to the table, or still less display one of those nameless graces with which a generous and delicate mind delights to reanimate the modest and the unfortunate. Ayenna took a chair in silence, and though she had at first felt forlorn and embarrassed by the impertinent manners of her companions, a consciousness of innocence gradually revived her spirits, and enabled her to resume an air of dignity which repressed this rude presumption. Ayenna returned to herself, for the first time, with eagerness. Marguerite did not fasten the door of it, but she was careful to secure that of the passage, and even this small indulgence she seemed to allow with a surly reluctance, as if compelled to obey the command of a superior. The moment she was gone, Ayenna withdrew to her pleasant turret, where, after having suffered from the coarse manners of the novices, her gratitude was the more lively when she perceived the delicate attention of her beloved nun. It appeared that she had visited the chamber in Ayenna's absence, and had caused to be brought thither a chair and a table, on which were placed some books, and a knot of fragrant flowers. Ayenna did not repress the grateful tears which the generous feelings of Olivia excited, and she forbore for some moments to examine the books, that the pleasing emotions she experienced might not be interrupted. On looking into these books, however, she perceived that some of them treated of mystical subjects, which she laid aside with disappointment. But in others she observed a few of the best Italian poets, and a volume or two of, of Guido Ciardini's history. She was somewhat surprised that the poets should have found their way to the library of a nun, but was too pleased with the discovery to dwell on the inquiry. Having arranged her books and set her little room in order, she seated herself at a window, and with a volume of Tasso, endeavored to banish every painful remembrance from her mind. She continued wandering in the imaginary scenes of the poet, till the fading light recalled her to those of reality. The sun was set, but the mountaintops were still lighted up by his beams, and a tint of glorious purple colored all the west, and began to change the snowy points on the horizon. The silence and repose of the vast scene promoted the tender melancholy that prevailed in her heart. She thought of Vivaldi and wept, of Vivaldi whom she might, perhaps, never see again, 
though she doubted not that he would be indefatigable in searching for her, every particular of their last conversation, when he had so earnestly lamented the approaching separation, even while he allowed of its propriety, came to her mind, and while she witnessed in imagination the grief and distraction which her mysterious departure and absence must have occasioned him, the fortitude with which she had resisted her own sufferings yielded to the picture of his. The vesper bell at length summoned her to prepare for mass, and she descended to her cell to await the arrival of her conductress. It was Margaritane who soon appeared, but in the chapel she, as usual, saw Olivia, who, when the service had concluded, invited her into the garden of the convent. There, as she walked beneath the melancholy cypresses that ranged on either side, the long walks formed a majestic canopy, almost excluding the evening twilight. Olivia conversed with her on serious but general topics, carefully avoiding any mention of the abbess and of the fairs of Iena. The latter, anxious to learn the effect of her repeated rejection of the veil, ventured to make some enquiries, which the nun immediately discouraged, and as cautiously checked the grateful effusions of her young friend for the attentions she had received. Olivia accompanied Iena to her cell, and there no longer scrupled to relieve her from uncertainty. With a mixture of frankness and discretion, she related as much of the conversation that had passed between herself and the abbess as it appeared necessary for Iana to know, from which it seemed that the former was as obstinate as the latter was firm. "'Whatever may be your resolution,' added the nun, "'I earnestly advise you, sister, to allow the superior some hope of compliance, lest she proceed to extremities.' "'And what extremity can be more terrible,' replied Iana, "'than either of those to which she would now urge me?' Why should I descend to practice dissimulation? To save yourself from undeserved sufferings, said Olivia mournfully. Yes, but I should then incur deserved ones, observed Diana, and forfeit such peace of mind as my oppressors never could restore to me. As she said this, she looked at the nun with an expression of gentle reproach and disappointment. I applaud the justness of your sentiment, replied Olivia, regarding her with tenderest compassion. Alas, that a mind so noble should be subjected to the power of injustice and depravity. Not subjected, say Iena. Do not say subjected. I have accustomed myself to contemplate those sufferings. I have chosen the least of such as were given to my choice, and I will endure them with fortitude. And can you then say that I am subjected? Alas, my sister, you know not what you promise, replied Olivia. You do not comprehend the sufferings which may be preparing for you. As she spoke, her eyes filled with tears, and she withdrew them from Iena, who, surprised at the extreme concern on her countenance, entreated she would explain herself. I am not certain myself as to this point, said Olivia, and if I were, I should not dare to explain it. Not dare, repeated Iena mournfully. Can benevolence like yours no fear? when courage is necessary to prevent evil? Inquire no further, said Olivia, but no blush of conscious duplicity stained her cheek. It is sufficient that you understand the consequence of open resistance to be terrible, and that you consent to avoid it. But how avoid it, my beloved friend, without incurring a consequence which, in my apprehension, would be yet more dreadful? How avoid it without either subjecting myself to a hateful marriage, or accepting the vows? 
either of these events would be more terrible to me than anything which i may be menaced perhaps not said the nun imagination cannot draw the horror of but my sister let me repeat that i would save you oh how willingly save you from the evils preparing and that the only chance of doing so is by prevailing with you to abandon at least the appearance of resistance your kindness deeply affects me said ayena and i am fearful of appearing insensible of it when i re reject your advice yet i cannot adopt it the very dissimulation which i should employ in self-defence might be a means of involving me in destruction as ayena concluded and her eyes glanced upon the nun unaccountable suspicion occurred to her that olivia might be insincere and that at this very moment when she was advising dissimulation she was endeavouring to draw ayena into some snare which the abbess had laid she sickened at this dreadful supposition and dismissed it without suffering herself to examine its probability that olivia from whom she had received so many attentions whose countenance and manners announced so fair a mind and for whom she had conceived so much esteem and affection should be cruel and treacherous was a suspicion that gave her more pain than the actual imprisonment in which she suffered and when she looked again upon her face ayena was consoled by a clear conviction that she was utterly incapable of perfidy if it were possible that i could consent to practise deceit resumed ayena after a long pause what could it avail me i am entirely in the power of the abbess who would soon put my sincerity to the proof when a discovery of my duplicity would only provoke her vengeance and i should be punished even for having sought to avoid injustice if deceit is at any time excusable replied olivia reluctantly it is when we practice it in self-defence there are some rare situations when it may be resorted to without our incurring ignominy, and yours is one of those but i will acknowledge that all the good i expect is from the delay which which temporizing may procure you the superior when she understands there is a probability of obtaining your consent to her wishes may be willing to allow you the usual time of preparation for the veil and meanwhile something may occur to rescue you from your present situation ah could i but believe so said ayena but alas what power can rescue me and i have not one relative remaining even to attempt my deliverance to what possibility do you allude the marchesa may relent does then your possibility of good rest with her my dear friend if so i am in despair again for such a chance of benefit there would certainly be little policy in forfeiting one's integrity there are also other possibilities my sister said olivia but hark what bell is that it is the chime which assembles the nuns in the apartment of the abbess where she dispenses her evening benediction my absence will be observed good night my sister reflect on what i have advised and remember i conjure you to consider that the consequence of your decision must be solemn and may be fatal the nun spoke this with a look of emphasis so extraordinary that ayena at once wished and dreaded to know more but before she had recovered from her surprise olivia had left the room
End of chapter 8. Recording by Liz Morant of Port Ritchie, Florida. Liz Morant at gmail.com.